Hello and welcome to Politics World Room with James Carville and I'm Al Hunt. This week, our guests are our much better halves, Mary Madeline with James Carville and Judy Woodruff with me. We remember, we love taking your questions. So write into politicswarroom at gmail.com or send a tweet to Politicon for next week's show. And we'll get to as many as we can. And don't forget to tell us where you're from. Now, please check out the links to our sponsors, Real Paper, Miracle Brand, and Hold On Bags in the show notes. We thank you for supporting the sponsors. It really helps make this podcast happen. So please tell your friends about us and remind them to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, James, you know, the January 6th committee concluded one of the most successful congressional investigations I have ever seen, and I've been watching them for a long time. Before they started, there was a circumstantial case that Donald Trump incited the January 6th mob assault on the Capitol to steal the election. The committee carefully, methodically gathered conclusive evidence, mostly from Republicans and those inside the Trump administration, so we can remove circumstantial. There was a corrupt conspiracy directed by the orange man that culminated on with the January 6th violence. And I, you know, I sometimes hear some pundits saying, uh, you know, it didn't really matter politically. It didn't change public opinion. Really? Read the great Maggie Haberman in the New York Times today. Before the hearings, she noted Trump dominated, particularly his party. His endorsements determined primaries, election deniers, uh, and embracing the big lie was pervasive in the GOP. It was a foregone conclusion. He's going to be the 2024 nominee. After these hearings, Maggie writes, Trump is a significantly diminished, a sunken presence on the political landscape. Some of this, to be sure, reflects his own atrocities, meeting with white nationalists and, and anti-Semites. But it also, as she writes, was a product of the voluminous and compelling evidence assembled by this committee. You know, I, I, I agree with you. I, I obviously agree with Maggie. I, I think the committee and many things that it did is almost flawless. The one thing that I question is the referral. Not that I don't think that he is a massive criminal and is deserving of somebody like Jack Smith. As I understand it, it is without any legal consequence, right? And the fact that they referred it and and assume that they indict him, it's going to be a Fox talking point that it was instigated by partisan congressional Democrats. Not true, but you're just giving them a talking point but you know me, what, what I, I think they should have done is just on my turn the evidence that they have over to the Justice Department. That's the only thing I would question about it is, is the wisdom of actually making the referral. You know, I agree with you on that. And, and it got overplayed. I mean, this what this committee did was they showed in a very comprehensive, compelling way that there was a criminal conspiracy. It's up to the Justice Department to bring action on that. It doesn't have any bearing. And I think uh, the news media overplayed it. Uh, but uh, I, I, I don't think it's going to affect Jack Smith uh, on one iota. I don't think it would have affected. I, 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 I don't. But but uh, you know, I, I, I think it, I mean, I, I really think he's going to be indicted and we just give up a talking point. That's all. It's right. just a talking point. But, no, I but think you're right. We didn't have to give it up. It wasn't necessary. James, uh, he's going to be indicted in Mar-a-Lago. He, he may well be indicted on January 6th. He should be. He may well be indicted 
in Fulton County, you know, maybe even New York. He's going to be he's going to have a hat trick of criminal indictments. He's going to top Harvey Weinstein. And I think an interesting question, you know, if he's indicted, he may be able to string this out for a couple of years. You can do that. That's what he's done for years. But if let's say he is convicted in the spring or summer of 2024, so hypothetical, would Bi- would Biden pardon him? Would he would have to demand he admit totally to guilty on all fronts, apologize, pay a massive fine, and commit to state of politics? What would the what what would the situation call for then? Do you think? I yeah, I I've thought a lot about this. I, I first of all, it might happen. Might they might request it sooner. So let's just say he's indicted. And I'm Trump's lawyer, all right? And I said, look, this, I, I, I go to Trump and I said, look, you got one hope here, and, and that's to get a pardon. And I, I, I want to call the White House counsel's, you know, counsel's office to see. And so they said, well, I can't present it to the president unless you admit guilt. Now, Nixon, for whatever weird reason, is not required to admit guilt. But by accepting the pardon, they said, well, that's an admission of guilt. No, you have to specifically request it. You have to specifically admit guilt. So then they prepare the option sheet for the president, the way to do it. This is what they want, bye, bye, bye. And they also say there's another thing is if to do this, you have to request that the Fulton County DA stand down and suspend her investigation. If you're Biden, what do you do at that point? All right, and I'm not telling you that he's the president. It's a presidential level decision. It's monumental. I hate Trump. I think he's a criminal. What does it say to the country? What would you do if you were president in that circumstance? And I don't think the answer is that easy. I don't either. No. All right, but but you have to kind of look at the totality, and if that would give us a, a, a shorten the time that we can get beyond this, this horrible, horrible, god-awful, I don't know, you know, since it came down to escalate in 2015, I, 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 I don't know. I'd be tempted to take it. I just, I got to say that. No, I, I think you're right. It's agonizing, but I would too. I think, it, you know, you have to have an admission of guilt, you know, a Steve Fine, an apology. He's got to ask. Right. He's got to ask. All right. And, and he's got to do all of that. You know, you're right. When Ford pardoned Nixon, it was it was roundly criticized. It probably cost him the election. And he didn't he didn't actually get uh, an admission of guilt. But it was a move that later was celebrated. Uh, he was awarded the Profile Courage Committee at the John F. Kennedy Library. And Ford told me one time that was one of the highest honors of his whole life. Uh, Ted Kennedy uh, led that effort 20, what, some years after the pardon. But Nixon, and I want to say this very slowly for those of you who were around then, Nixon was a much more sympathetic figure than Donald Trump. Oh, so that's how bad Trump is. Yeah, the other thing is, is the stick in this. So people say, yeah, he does that. You know what that son of a bitch is going to do? As soon as you give him a pardon, he's going to go back to his old way. The, the Fulton County DA has to be in on the, on the deal and say, if you break anything in this, if you give any public statement, my suspended investigation is going to be reignited right now. Yeah. And you have to weigh all defenses from what we call those prescription. I think y'all call it the statute of limitations. I mean, I mean you, you, have to, you can't trust them with anything. No. You'd have to 
you'd have to like make it so freaking airtight. But at that point, uh, I got to tell you, you'd be tempted. No, I think that's right. Um, James, tur- you know, turning to uh, a new Republican, I'm not going to say crook because we don't know everything yet, but George Santos, newly elected <laughs> Republican congressman from Long Island, revealed by the New York Times. He lied about everything. He lied about his educational background. He lied about his employment. He lied about his charitable works. He lied about financial transactions, some very dubious. Uh, And yet he was elected six weeks ago. Much of this stuff did not come out before November 8th. What should be done about it? I I tell you, well, first of all, he he claims he's gay. (laughs) I'm not too sure it's like about everything right, else. Right, Maybe right. about that. We're used uh, to people lying about being gay. He may be lying about you know, if he so what the Democrats need to do is, you know, I, I, I think I'm right, you know this most better than I do. The House is the judge of the own qualifications of its members. It can seat or not seat anybody that it wants to. The Democrats should make a motion not to seat him. Of course, the Republicans can't do that because they need to vote. And they can pay. And then say, well, let's have open ethics, open ethics committee hearing on this. So let's have hearings on. And if this was a Democrat, every 15 minutes, Fox would be running with this, running with this, running with this. And I, th- I think we should do the same thing. And I think Hakeem Jeffers should demand that he not be seated. Yeah, you know that this was an election that was conducted under massively false pretenses, and it's not going to succeed in the sense that they won't they'll, they'll they'll seat him, but make them pay, make them pay. You know, and, and that's an important thing in in in, in politics and sports and life and everything else. Sometimes you you know the guy's going to catch the pass, but knock the living crap out of him and make you know and make him pay for catching it. That's what you, they got to do here. Make them pay. Well, you're certainly right. They ought to pay. I would have I would have a lot of reservations about not uh, a motion not to see him. Going back to the Adam Clayton path, you know, you can un, you can take away a seat from somebody convicted of a crime. There's no that's been done. There's no harm. I mean, it's it's you know it ought to be done. Um, but I think you know maybe I'd make a motion that he doesn't vote. Uh, until the ethics committee rules on this, um, uh, that's fine. Just make them make, remind. Yeah. Stay in the news for this thing. All right, you're not making it because you're going to win it. You're making it because you're trying to gain a political point. But yeah, if you I, wanted to be highbrow about it, that he can't vote. Yeah, I, I just wonder how party. did he get through to November the eighth? I mean, this is such a. I mean, he is a serial liar of a of a huge magnitude. I mean, I don't know. I, I guess, the, I mean, did the Democrats have all this stuff? If so, why didn't they use it? Uh, there was some, I read some story that there were, that some of it came up. Yeah. Oh, they got all these contested races and, you know, it's New York and it's all, you know, we lost the house because of New York and the, the stupid redistricting we tried to do and the inability of our candidates to talk about crime because of the, well, I'm going to get into the old fight about defund the police, but all the damage that's done. But, it, you know, it, the damage is done. We lost two seats and we'll get them back in 2024. Yeah. Okay. One more, James. You are a diehard LSU football fan. But when Auburn plays Alabama, you can have a cheering interest and you'll have, you'll be rooting for one of those teams in the January 1st playoffs. 
But I got a tougher call for you. Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren <laughs> Boebert are fighting. <laughs> Who are you cheering for? I'm cheering for the game, man. <laughs> I mean, it's like it's like I wanted Ohio State and Michigan to play in the playoff, you know, because I just like I, I don't like particular rooting. I hate it. It's a good good analogy, but what's really odd is Marjorie Taylor Greene is now the moderate. Right, right. I mean, right, right. And she's attacking Marjorie Taylor Greene for the Jewish space lasers, and uh, you know. I, I, you know, we all deserve a, a little holiday cheer. It's been a, you know, between COVID and Trump and, you know, the nerve wracking midterms. And uh, this is might be one of my favorite stories going on right now. And uh, it, it, we don't have to worry because they're going to take this thing as low as it can go. Right. <laughs> well, the central, I, the central argument is, is and accusations against the other is which one is crazier? You know, I think that's a draw. I think that's a tie. We can accept that. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, which one is trashier? You know, uh, yeah. her her husband, Lauren Bobert's husband, introduced himself to her by exposing himself at a bowling alley when she was a teenager. And, of course, there's pretty substantial rumors about Marjorie Taylor Greene and some gym rat. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe they could they could get into an argument. As I'm, I'm bigger white trash than you are. I, I'd like to I'd like to be the judge of that contest. All I can say is Marge and Lauren keep it keep it going, guys. We're loving but, it. But Lauren met Jason at the <laughs> bowling alley. <laughs> And, you know, James, sustainability and climate change can be a tricky topic for people of all ages, but it can be particularly challenging to talk about with kids. However, few things are more important. It's happening right in front of us and something the next generation will have to deal with as well. That means it's time to lead by example and also educate kids about the importance of practicing sustainable habits. Luckily, we had the perfect suggestion, real paper and their limited edition little lemur box. Real makes a soft and strong 100% bamboo toilet paper, never cutting down trees, unlike most traditional toilet paper brands. Plus, Real just launched the little lemur box, a 24-pack of their bamboo toilet paper that comes with a beautifully illustrated kids book that tells an exciting story of sustainability. I know at least one five-year-old who's going to get that for Christmas, but don't tell anybody. The box was designed to spark creativity in kids and create a small opportunity to talk about things like deforestation and plastic pollution, but in a light and easy way with your kids. So not only are you making a difference, you're leading the way to change. And with the holidays here, the book could make a great gift for the little one on your list. From kids to adults learning the most effective ways to fight back against deforestation and climate change. It's essential for us. We love Reels products from their mission to their feel and the role companies play like this play in building the world we want. Now, how great is this, James? It, it, it's, it's not just great. It's staggeringly great. It's, it's great on, on, on a number of fronts. First, the, the idea that, you know, I guess you could say trees are renewable and bamboo is renewable, but one is renewable about 10,000 times faster than the other and has, you know, significantly less environmental impact. And then you top that with the fact that it's actually an educational product where, you, you know, our generation didn't take 
was horrific in the fact that we did not take climate very seriously until very late. And this is going to get young people that as soon as they've kind of learned to write or read, uh, very aware of the climate crisis. So I, man, I would score I would score this product on a lot of levels. This is just a, a, a tremendous idea. And uh, I, I congratulate and salute these folks, and I'm delighted we have them as a sponsor. It sure is. Real Paper's little lemur box and all other products are available in easy, hassle-free subscriptions or for one-time purchases on their website. All orders are conveniently delivered to your door with free shipping and 100% recyclable plastic-free packaging. If you head to realpaper.com slash lemur and sign up for a subscription using our code WARROOM at checkout, you'll automatically get 30% off your first order and free shipping. Let Real help you with your stocking stuffers and holiday gift giving. That's Real Paper, R-E-E-L-P-A-P-E-R.com slash lemur and enter promo code WARROOM to get 30% off your first order plus free shipping. You can also find the link in our show notes. James, I think we began this Christmas week tradition about three years ago uh, as our wives, Mary, Madeline, and Judy Woodchip joined us. Talk a little bit about what we planned for the holidays, the festivities, what uh, unique, sometimes strange things we do. Uh, so why don't I start with you, Judy, and then I'll turn to Mary. Should we start with the argument we had this week over the artificial Christmas tree? Let's not. Just skip that? Let's, okay. just, let's not go there. All right, we'll <laughs> skip that. Well, can I interrupt and say how much I loved that argument? Because it puts you at the same <laughs> level of ridiculous argument that my dearly beloved and I have. And I hope Judy won and got the artificial yeah, it, she it's, did. It's, it's too long a story. <laughs> but she won. Awful. You did win. <laughs> it's awful. Uh, we are, no, we are. But first of all, can, may I start by talking about how great a visit we had to New Orleans? As you know, you can do whatever I you want. I can do whatever yes. I want. Yeah, that's what he says every day. Um, yeah. No, we, we a, a few weeks ago, Al and I were so lucky enough to have been invited to New Orleans, the Big Easy. Um, to not only be with the amazing James and Mary, but to get to know the city after uh, too many years of not visiting. And we were treated to the most remarkable three, four days um, there, uh, meeting incredible uh, New Orleans citizens, Anne and King Milling, uh, who welcomed us with open arms and what incredible citizens they are. And then um, the, the fabulous uh, Bureau for Governmental Research. What a, what an amazing organization that has done so many good things for New Orleans um, uh, and eating like literally kings and queens every single meal, uh, including Galatoire with, uh, with James himself. And uh, we brought along our son, Ben, uh, spending time with Mary, um, just loving the city. So I have to start out with that because that that is put me in a much better mood than I normally would be in going to the hectic, stressful holidays. That got me through the artificial <laughs> Christmas tree, Mary. Uh, well, Who won your fight on the, on, on the Christmas tree, Mary? Well, this year, forget the Christmas tree. That's exactly where I want to start it. For your legions of listeners, it is no easy lift 
for Judy and Al to get on the road and Judy and Al and their delightful fun Ben. I had so much fun. He was the highlight of the trip. I love we loved what we love watching each of other's kids grow up and we're so proud of Ben. He's a sadly in my case, he's a liberal, but he's one of the good ones. And I just love, love, love seeing our kids growing up. And Judy, now we cannot thank you enough. New Orleans is going through a bad a bad phase right now and I have no doubt and every hope and confidence that we'll pull out of it but it meant so much to the city and you were so so gracious and so good it was we've done been doing this for 10 years now and including the two of us who have given that speech it was the best one ever by all accounts so thank you for that and adding the lanyap was it was that we got to learn at that speech that our beloved Judy is off on a new adventure. We are so <laughs> proud of your long career. We're so indebted to you for all the real, the true public service you've done, especially in these, this area of media idiocracy. You've been a shining star. You're the hero of our entire family. And why don't we tell the legions of listeners your new adventure if you're privy, we're able to be able to announce it because it's such a great, it's, just what the world needs, and no one can do it better than you. Well, I cannot thank you, Mary. With that kind of layup, I mean, I hardly, I hardly have any words uh, to say. But thank you, thank you. I am beyond grateful for what you, what you've said. But you're right. I am making a big turn in my career. I'm going to stop anchoring the PBS NewsHour as of the end of December, which is the end of next week. Um, but I'm going to stay at the NewsHour, and I'm going to uh, embark on this what I think is a really interesting project to try to understand where the country is. Why are we so divided? Uh, do people think that we are as divided as we seem we are? Uh, how do people on the ground see it? So I'm going to be traveling around the country, talking to, to real people, to ordinary Americans, extraordinary ordinary Americans about what's on their mind, uh, what do they worry about, uh, what are their hopes and dreams for the future, what do they think about the next generation uh, what do they think it will take to fix our politics? Um, and I'll be doing that for the next two years, interspersing it with interviews with experts, people like sociologists, psychologists, uh, educators, because think about how divided we are now about education, about science. So there's just so much to explore. And I'm very, very, very excited about it. You know, it's another great thing to explore, and I should have asked your permission before I started telling everybody about this, but everybody that I do tell wants to put in the bid to get you to come to their city. And the first thing they all say, and this gives me goosebumps to even think about, the the real hope and innovation and progress and love that's going on out there, particularly among young people. I just take yeah. LSU or Tulane, either one. I don't mean to be so loyal to Louisiana, but it is oddly a hotbed of innovation and, and great good cheer. And I, I hope you part of your mission will be to see what this, these successive generations after the boomers who have left such a big mess in their wake, Yes. We can Judy, see what, what great things are going on out there, Judy, and you can you can find that and you can make people you make people better. Tell, well, tell them what we saw. Generous. We saw that with, with in Erie, Pennsylvania last week in Gannon University. We sure did. Al and I were in Erie, uh, Pennsylvania, just last just days ago 
where we met a number of not just people in the community, but young people in the community. There were high school students, this college uh, students at Gannon uh, University, which is really in the heart of, of Erie. And they talked about uh, the kinds of things that they're uh, engaged in. We met uh, one young woman in particular. Uh, I, I won't try to single everybody out, but I'll just say uh, you're right, absolutely right, Mary. This young generation has to give us hope for the future. I, maybe people say that at every decade or so, but I think there really is something special about this generation because you're absolutely right. I think the boomers have messed it up a lot. I can say that as a boomer. Um, and uh, I look to the young, the next generation. I don't want to say this in a way that, you know, that puts an obligation on their shoulders. I've had young, some young people say to me, look, do you really expect us to pick up the mess that you've created? And my answer is, you know, no, we bear that responsibility, but we look to you for your ideas, your energy, your optimism. Uh, we need that. And we especially need it right now when the country's uh, as divided as it is. Okay, let me turn to Christmas. Mary, what are you guys planning? Anything different? Anything special? Anything uh, out, of, out, of the, uh, out of the ordinary uh, this year? Well, I would put this at the top of the list of out of the ordinary and in the category of God is good. Our baby, oh, I'm going to cry. Our baby is having a baby and she's big as a house. And she, so we are all going to meet up with her and her big fat belly in Baton Rouge where how she is standing up and cooking all day, which means mom's going to be standing up and cooking all day. But this is not... Our, this may or may not become our Christmas tradition, but having a grandchild, as you guys know, is the essence of what Christmas is about. And we could not be more grateful and thankful and hopeful. And that's why we've got to fix all of this because, and and I'll just say about boomers, you know, our, our curses, our strength is our curse. All we ever want to do is make a better place for the next generation. And I think we probably overindulged our kids, but our parents overindulged mm -hmm. us and they overcame way more than this generation's gonna have to overcome. So I'm mm -hmm. feeling the spirit of joy and hope and that I hope this become, I know our tradition will be wherever our baby boy is, his name is gonna be Campbell, wherever he is is what's gonna be our Christmas tradition going forward. What a blessing. What a blessing. <laughs> and we we appreciate that in particular. I know, don't know if he's left yet, but Kai, age five, was here this morning. Uh, and it is the greatest blessing. I think I told you this before. A friend, Michael Gardner, said having a grandchild is like renting a top-of-the-line Mercedes. It's the best <laughs> ride in the world, and then you get to return it. Uh, but it is such a delight. And uh, James, there are going to be some, uh, uh, there, there may be a stressful or a tiring, mo more a tiring moment or two but it's the best thing imaginable. So happy for you all. I, I, I can't wait. And Mary, you know, can't wait. Uh, actually, uh, uh, Campbell's dad drove down from Baton Rouge with my, with my daughters in graduate school and MFA program at LSU. And we went to the basketball game last night and we had a great time. It was the worst night. We lost the game. It was raining. It was cold. <laughs> but uh, it was a great night. And Mary's exactly right. Uh, we're so looking forward to this Christmas above and beyond all of them. And then, uh, Judy, I, I, I got to tell you to buttress what Mary said. People are still talking about uh, your speech to the BGR and what it meant to the city for, for UNL to come here. So it's greatly appreciated. A, a great 
holiday gift y'all gave to the city of New Orleans. Thank well, you. I appreciate that's very generous of you. But I'm thinking right now also about your your grandson and how spoiled he's going to be having James and Mary for his grandparents. What do we think, Al? Well, I think I, I think it's very safe to predict uh, that he will at, at age uh, one day or maybe two days have an LSU Tigers uh, uh, shirt uh, and. Maybe waiting uh, in the wings will be a Pelicans or a Saints shirt. Uh, I think Mary will be more refined as always. But uh, I think uh, as far as James is concerned, he's going to be a Tiger from day one. Yes, and I I point out my youngest daughter is an interior designer. My wife is, if she wanted to be, she could be the best interior designer anywhere. And that baby's nursery, I don't even want to know. (laughs) Oh, my God, the nursery. I'm also, thank you, James, for those kind words and for all the support you've given me for spending bazillions of dollars decorating (laughs) all your homes over the years. But I've already sewn her window treatments and a skirt for her fish tank she's also an aquarist so it's going to be quite this the beautiful space all hand sewn so we're very oh very excited but i'm not over under on this judy and al how many diapers do you think james will change and i'll just give you <laughs> his record with his two children is exactly zero Zero. Oh, Two for zero. He's never changed a diaper, but... Oh, uh, uh, Mary, Mary, I think he's grown. I really think, he, I think he's shown great growth. And I, I, I see, I think, I'm not sure we'll get to double figures, but I think we'll be at least low single digits. You wouldn't let me. You said I couldn't do it very well. <laughs> We can check the diaper in five seconds. Yeah, well, I have evidence to that fact because there is a front and back to diapers, believe it or not, and you never quite got that down. But <laughs> well, but you know, they turned out they turned out pretty well. So you know, uh, uh, more than pretty well. Your two children. I I just think um, you guys. All I can think is just how much love and attention joy. and spoiling and joy these. This baby is is going to have, and and I just what a, what what better holiday, whatever spirit there is out there, what better could it be? How much better could it be? You're also blessed that that he's going to be near you. Uh, <laughs> we we have the same thing. Kai is only about a ten or twelve minute drive away, and that is really nice. That really is nice. We have friends who have grandchildren across the country, and they love them just as much, but they don't see them very much. So you guys are really blessed. <laughs> very nice for them too because they've already accounted for the grandmother to be the built-in maid i can see that coming can i make another point at this season seeing you guys james was not able to be up here but see we went to a christmas party the other night judy and al at maureen orth who's the widow of tim russert it was at luke russert's house right and it just Remind me as I looked around how long we've been friends and what that friendship has made and what great people have been in public service. Starting with Tim Russert, he Luke had on his mantle or his bookcases or whatever, a, a gallery of photos throughout the years. And you guys were in them and we were in them and every president since Abraham Lincoln with Tim. And it just <laughs> it put me in yeah. such great love mode because we really are blessed with your friendship and the friends that we've managed to keep people think of this 
town and this business is so transactional. And it is. There's no denying that. But I'm so grateful year round and appreciate this opportunity to thank you at this time for your decade, decades of loving friendship. Mary, I'm so glad you brought up Tim Russert because, um, I mean, we miss him, of course, every all the time. Um, but what a what a you know, the best example of, of journalism of and as you just said, public service, because he cared. That's what drove him. Yes, it was being a reporter, but it was all about his love of, of this country. And, um, you know, I don't want to get too mushy about it, but but you're absolutely right there. You know, there are a lot of people in public life who who, um, you know, don't live up to what we think they should. But there's so many who do and many who are heralded like Tim and then so many others that we don't know their names. But I'm, I'm just so glad you said that. I'll just tell one quick Tim story. When Tim was the NBC bureau chief in Washington, Mike Gartner, uh, the president of NBC News, wanted to put him on Meet the Press. It's hard for people to believe this, but he, Tim resisted. He really resisted. <laughs> and he told Michael Gardner, he said, I've got a face for radio. And Gardner said, yeah, that's true. But I think you'll be good on television. He asked me to call Tim to encourage him. So he was reluctant. And within hours, if that, uh, he became the most dominant figure on Sundays and most of the rest of the week. And we do miss him every day, but boy, what a what a mark he left, uh, Mayor. Well, here's another Tim story for a Christmas story, actually. As you might recall, the Tim, much to the chagrin of the chattering classes, would have the our children on for Mother's Day and Christmas every year, and a certain cohort of his audience loved seeing the kids grow up. And one year, Tim brought a teddy bear one teddy bear and he put it in the middle of the table and both the girls grabbed it and i forget which one got it but tim said he never got so much email and and letters and everything from grandmother saying you never bring one present to a two kid party (laughs) (laughs) and subsequent to that he got the next year he got maddie and emerson backstage ticket to, at the time, their heroine, Hillary Duff, or I forget who it was, Lindsay Lohan, I forget who it was. But Tim was so mortified, loved those girls, and shared, it wasn't that he was sharing family with the nation. So, so many great things to say about our, our dear friend. I just, you know, we could go on for a long time, but he was, he was, he was Benjamin's, your, your friend Benjamin's godfather. But when our elder son was injured, Tim um, uh, got him a hat and encouraged other people to give him hats because he had had uh, some surgery and a a, a baseball cap. Right. And I think Jeffrey now has, I guess, 125 baseball caps, caps. all all originating with Tim Russell. So So just remember, the first time Jeffrey got drunk was at our wedding. Oh, was it ever. (laughs) And and, And he was 12 years old. And I went upstairs where the kids were, and I, I, I saw he was a little bit, I said, Jeffrey, what have you been drinking? And he said, Sprite. <laughs> I said, sure. <laughs> Boy, that wedding, and all the kids remember that. I mean, uh, our daughter got made up with you uh, in the makeup room before right. the wedding, and we marched. It was just great. And I will tell you, Mary, we sat, we behaved ourselves, we sat in front of Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> 
Well, that's another person I miss. And we, James and I, were blessed to attend about five of his marriages. <laughs> <laughs> Jim only had one. Well, anyway, uh, Mary, you make such a good point about how important friends are for Christmas. We spend every Christmas, as I think we told you last year, with Andrew Mitchell and Alan Greenspan. Alan's 96 and he's going strong. And one of the great fun things we've had for 37 years is making fun of Alan, particularly when he was the revered chairman of the Federal Reserve. Exactly. We so, always we try to put something in the stocking that'll make him smile. Al's pretty good at thinking of something. <laughs> <laughs> no uh, surprise there. Well, well, James, are you going to be wearing your Christmas hat because it's such a good look for you? Your Santa hat because you don't have the belly, but you can wear that. You can wear that hat, brother. All right. Well, I got some Christmas socks that kids love. <laughs> I'm so looking forward to it. Gonna be cold. <laughs> well, all right. So when it, when is the baby due? I uh, hope January 24th, which is my deceased brother's birthday, and who my daughter just loved. So if there's any kind oh. of way we can, so we're kind of pulling for January 24th. Oh, that's well. I, I was going to say this is the last Christmas that he won't be with you, but no, he will be with you. Uh, he, he'll, 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 he'll just be hiding a little bit, but boy, I'm sure you're going to bless him a lot that day. And what a wonderful time you're going to have. Mary and Judy, thank you so much for oh, ele elevating us. That's half hour to show up, I can tell you that. <laughs> love being I love your show and congratulations to you guys. Yeah. The past year, I keep running into people. And I meet people from all over the world. We had a family reunion in Ireland last this past fall. And people were coming up to James and up to me and saying how much they enjoy the podcast. So you guys are now global superstars. Congratulations. And I love all your sponsors. Keep sending all that free stuff, sponsors. I love all <laughs> Absolutely. We love all that. And I just, and I have the same thing, Mary. I run it. I don't even have to bring up the fact that Al does the podcast with Jane. People will say, oh, I love this podcast they're doing. So congratulations to you guys. People will sometimes ask me, do you guys have as much fun as it looks like you're having? I said, you bet. Do we ever <laughs> Anyway. Well, they said here what doesn't, what gets left on the floor, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, All guys. Right. Love. And, you know, we will obviously. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. Merry folks. Christmas. Love you guys. Lots of love. Love you, Mayor. Ben Emerson, be careful driving down here. Okay, honey. Love you. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. You know, winter is here, and for us, that means struggling to find the right temperature when we sleep. But we've recently found a way to stay at the perfect temperature all night long using silver-infused bed sheets by Miracle Brand that were inspired by NASA. Using silver-infused fabrics, Miracle Brand makes temperature-regulating bedding so you can always sleep in comfort. Now, since we started using Miracle Brand's self-cooling bed sheets, we stay comfortable every night, all night, thanks to Miracle Brand's thermoregulating sheets, unique self-cooling properties. Now, even better, they're self-cleaning, thanks to their infusion of natural silver that prevents 99.9% of bacterial growth. They stay cleaner and fresher three times longer than other sheets. So forget those gross odors. Their design makes them much better for your skin with less bacteria to clog your pores. That means fewer breakouts and other skin problems. 
Miracle sheets are also luxuriously comfortable without the high price tag of other luxury brands. Their sheets use a premium 500 thread count sateen weave that's made with a USA grown Supima cotton, one of the highest quality cottons in the world. That makes Miracle Sheets the perfect gift for your spouse, your friends, or family. Who doesn't want a better sleep and a luxurious feeling bed sheets? And since these come with three free towels, you get two gifts in one, just in time for the holidays. So sleep cleaner and more comfortably in luxury with Miracle brand sheets. Now, James, you agree they are perfect for great sleeping. I, I don't agree. I'll make a point. One of the fastest growing branches of medicine, and I'm not kidding you, is sleep medicine. Yeah. And the amount of research they do into to sleep now is, I don't know, a factor of 20 more than it did 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And if you look at it, and I read every word because the way I feel is the term of high sleep, temperature is maybe the number one element to getting a good night's sleep and comfort. And Man, you know, you spend one third of your life sleeping. Why not sleep on the best? And this is the best. Absolutely. You spend more time sleeping than you do driving your car, yet you'll pay extra to get a more comfortable car. Well, <laughs> how much sleep you get is more important than the kind of car you drive, I promise you. Right. So go to trimiracle.com slash warroom to try it today or gift it to someone special this holiday season. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Save over 40% and be sure to use our promo code WARROOM at checkout to save even more and get three free towels. Miracle is so confident in their product, it's back with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you aren't 100% satisfied, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Brand. Go to trymiracle.com slash WARROOM and use the code WARROOM to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash warroom to treat yourself, a friend, or loved one this holiday season. You also can find the link in our show notes. Thank you, Miracle Brand, for sponsoring this episode. All right, now for our Outrage of the Week. Leonard Leo, who from his perch at the outside Federalist Society, basically picks Supreme Court justices and other judges for Donald Trump. Politico's Heidi Prisbella reports that Leo also apparently arranged, facilitated the sale of Kelly Conway's company while she was in the Trump White House advising the president on judicial selections. It was, of course, done in secret, what we call sometimes dark money. You know, it used to be said years ago that Federal Reserve Chairman Alan Greenspan was the second most powerful person in Washington. Today, that belongs, I think, probably to Leonard Leo, just infused with a $1.6 billion donation from a right-wing businessman. But Leo does it all in secret. He trades in dark money. And I think I would encourage all of my great colleagues in the press, assign a reporter or reporters just to cover Leonard Leo and all the tricks he's up to uh, in this next year or so. I think you're going to produce some great pieces. Well, I, you know, my outrage, I'm, I'm not going to top that because I can't. And, and I think one of our best shows we did uh, was our, well, our dog money show with Sheldon Whitehouse, uh, our dear friend Jane Mayer, and, and uh, 
the Terry Goddard, the former attorney general of Arizona. I, I just want to make the point is, man, you know, we, we, we talked about that proposition in Arizona about dog money disclosure. This is a winning issue. This is a winning political issue. We need to bring this to the forefront. We need to talk about it. We need to put it front and center. The public is way ahead of where the, the, the press or the politicians are. The public will lead on this issue. And, and for God's sakes, we, we need to do, on this show, we need to do more of it. And we need to bring this up. This, this thing passed 73 freaking percent in Arizona. 73 percent is a good number. It is across the board. You're getting independents. You're getting Republicans. You, you, you're getting everybody. And I, I just, this is brilliant that you brought this up. The show is brilliant. It, we can't let this go. This is a, a policy and political winner of the first magnitude. And you know, James, there are 24 states that allow citizens referendums. And, you know, you got to get a bunch of signatures, but you can do it. They did it in Arizona. And states like Florida ought to be doing this right now. I mean, you can get a citizen referendum on that ballot. And if, if you know, good citizens in, in that state of Florida where politics don't look very favorable to them, uh, this will carry. It'll have an effect. And it might even bring out voters. Yeah, the carrot, the minimum wage, $15 carried two-thirds in Florida right. as right. if allowing felons that did their time to vote. Right. And this is quite organized and the name, you know, these campaigns like make money selling the names. This is a big, a big thing. Uh, you, you know, there was a article in Axios and the Atlanta Journal Constitution about how Stacey Abrams' campaign had run out of money. And they were selling their list. I, not, I don't think that I'm not selling it. There's anything the list belongs to you. You can sell it. You can barter it. You can do what you want with it. But boy, you talk about a list worthy of a lot, a list of the people who signed these petitions. Right. Absolutely. I mean, this is a, this is a big, big, I'll call it, it's legal. I'll call it a hustle, but this is a big side issue going on. This money in politics is just, it's it's everywhere, and the public knows it, and the public is ahead of everybody else on this. I they mean, are, and I hate the amount of money in politics, but what I hate even more is when it's secret or dark money. People right. have a right to know who is contributing, and, um, you know, that ought to be – you're right. Let's make this a major theme for us in 2023. And we had our, 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 our dear friend Quentin Folks on. Remember, he he spent $181 million. Now, that's all disclosed. Right. And that's limited money. That's, that's a sign of a vibrant democracy when people are coming up over the $2,900 right. limit or whatever it is now. Right. Being fully dis disclosed. And, you know, you can run a camp good campaign on $181 million. Why do you need goddamn talk money? Right. You don't. All right. All right. Yeah. That is a major theme I want everybody to say 2023 among other things. And also, by the way, in 2023, James, I think we're going to have to return to our Ivy League Sphincter Hall of Fame. I think we got a couple nominees in waiting. But uh, so that and uh, dark money will be big deals for us. Uh, yeah, we got we got to. Yeah, we, we need some more admissions here. This club's too small. <laughs> OK. Plastic. It's everywhere we look and not enough being done about it. It's insane to know that 100 billion plastic bags 
are used and then thrown away every year. You know that plastic bags you see in the gutter are floating in a stream or washed up on the beach? Multiply that by 100 billion. Yikes, right? But there's a better way, and it can start with a better bag. Hold On is a company born from the idea that there must be a better way to go about our daily chores. Trash bags and kitchen bags are necessary staples, but do they need to be 100% plastic? 100%? No. Every single time you use one, you can be making a difference instead of creating waste, thanks to their incredible products. Hold On Trash and Kitchen Bags are heavy-duty, plant-based, non-toxic, and 100% home compostable, which means they break down in weeks, not decades, without filling up on our landfills or polluting our oceans. You can be part of the change with Hold On while they help the growing movement away from single-use plastic. And if you ask most experts, it's the single worst kind of plastic. At every stage, production, disposal, and decomposition, plastic bags are doing harm to our earth, our water, and even our bodies. Let's do better. And James, we know the way to do it is hold on bags for reducing the impact on the environment. You know, I, I love our sponsors. I got to tell you. They're, they're, and this is like such an innovative thing. And, and I'm going to go a little bit off script here, but make a point. Bags are, are in containers are just such a huge issue with the, the earth, the environment, biodiversity, you name it. I was listening to a thing on NPR, and, and you know how you, you go to the store and you can, for $2, you can buy these bags of cloth bags? Right. And they did a survey, and in order, the, the, buying one of those cloth bags as opposed to the little crappy bags they give you, you'd have to buy 7,000 plastic bags for one of those. So you're really not doing the environmental favor. This is totally biodegradable. It's nothing, all right? You, you, you use the product and it goes right back into the system. And if, if, we, if, if when you read these statistics about how much plastic in the ocean, how many, you know, fish, I mean, it's a real consequence. And, and this is the kind of stuff that, you know, when we talk about our kids and our grandchildren, if, if they're going to beat this thing, it's companies like this that are going to be part of beating it. And you can beat it without, with no sacrifice. Right. No, none. You, I, I mean, you don't have to, like, have your air conditioning on 75 in the summertime. Uh, I, I mean, it's just, just, just a terrific product. And it, it works you know, better than anything else, and it, it's worry-free. I, but this is great. This is and, just great. And James, there not only is no sacrifice; these bags are better. They really are better. So, yeah. so that's it's a it's a I don't know a two for a three for. So to shop right. plant-based bags and replace single-use plastics all over your home, visit holdonbags.com/slash/warroom or enter warroom at checkout to save twenty percent off your order. Sustainability has never been more simple. That's hold on, H-O-L-D-O-N, bags.com slash war room, or enter war room to receive 20% off your order. Small things can lead to lasting change. If we stop and say, hold on. Thank you, hold on, for sponsoring this episode. Also look for the link in our show notes.
All right. Now questions from our listeners. And wow, do we have great listeners. We'll start. This is a tough one for you, James. Drew in Cleveland, Ohio. If you were hired by Vice President Kamala Harris as her top political strategist, what advice would you give her to rehabilitate her poll numbers and try to position herself for 2024 or 2028? Well, the first thing I would have, I, I would do is I would have her get kind of front and center on issues of public safety. All right, she has not. It's a huge concern. It's at 81, according to Pupo, 81% of blacks said that violence in their neighbor, in their area it, it is a huge issue. She was, I think she was a prosecutor, uh, DA in San Francisco County. I know she was attorney general in California. She was both, yeah. You know, and she is a very talented person. She actually has, you can see her kind of being someone like this. And it's something different. It's not what you would exactly expect right out of the shoot for her. She needs to do something pretty different because she's not very much front and center. Uh, her, her poll numbers are, let's be gracious and call them tepid. And whatever she's doing is not working. Let's try something different. Let's be the public safety person. I think what uh, Mayor Karen Bass is doing in Los Angeles about cutting through this red tape and housing. Mm -hmm. I think that she's in the thing about her is she, Karen Bass grows. I mean, she, she, she moves ahead and she's showing real potential for growth. You know, she and Harris kind of both, you know, women of color from California and, you know, she needs to look at what uh, Mayor Bass is doing and I'm, I'm telling you, this homeless is a, 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 a problem. You know, obviously, Mayor Bass knows that. It's, it's all related to public safety. And when I say public safety, am I just talking about urban violence? No, I'm talking about a whole parameter of issues where we know for a fact that people do not like disorder, right? They like immigrants. They don't want to, like, they don't want to jail homeless people, all right, that they understand that there are people that are in jail that don't need to be there for selling four ounces of marijuana. But, man, when you cross the line to disorder, that costs you. And Democrats have to understand that. We, we can be a humane party. We, I, we can love immigrants and we can love immigration. We don't have to like disorder. And, and well, I, think I, I concur. And Karen Bass is a real talent. I was in the Profile Encourage Committee at the Kennedy Library when we gave her that because of her skillful leadership of the California Assembly where she was speaker. Uh, she also had the good sense to have Hampton Dellinger as a top advisor. And she's off to, I think, a great start and a very challenging job in L.A. So I couldn't agree with you more. Britain and of she course, growth. Yeah, she, she does. Growth. She grows. You don't, you don't, it's a lot of people who just don't see that. Right. And, well, you I think know, it's true. Um, yes. I, I think she would have been a perfect successor to Pelosi, but, you know, being mayor of L.A. is a, is a, is a big deal. You know, our next question comes from Brenton in Accord, New York, and I think, I think kind of suggesting that we may have gone overboard last week because she asked a good question. Is it possible that Marjorie Taylor Greene has succeeded in burying the lead? Talk about sex toys makes the headline, but her call for overturning democracy is the lead. 
You're right, Britain. It is. I mean, the sex toys, the dildos, uh, it just shows how, how, how crazy she is and why she goes looking for them. Who knows? But the greatest threat she poses is that she really wants to overturn democracy. She doesn't believe in democracy. So uh, uh, that's... Yeah, I, I mean, of course, on an intellectual level, you're right. But if you're asking us to bypass the fact that she's talking about... <laughs> no it's just too good. <laughs> that's just, that's, that's too much. I mean, I, it, you're, you're exactly right. And your observation and your critique is spot on. But I think if we had to do it all over again, we'd still do the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Britain, okay, we're, we're trying to recover. I'm going to combine these next two questions for you, James, because I think they're, they're interesting. Uh, Joseph in Westchester County says, with Virginia having elected a Republican governor and a Republican-controlled House of Delegates, is it inching closer to a purple state after it appeared to be blue for the last 15 or so years? Because uh, it's almost a must-have for Democrats in the national map. And conversely, Jeff in St. Pete says, has Florida become a money pit for Democrats? Uh, and if so, where's the best state to invest for maximum yield? All right, let's go to Virginia. Virginia was a, a bluish-purple state. All right, we, and we, I think we're, we're, barring anything, we'll continue to do well in presidential elections. We did, uh, we're right there in the Virginia legislature. Um, I'm... You know, what What happened was in like Rockingham County, which is adjacent to where I have a place in Shenandoah County, get a high turnout in 2021 they had in 2020. Yeah. I mean, and they didn't replicate that in in uh, in, in 2022. Uh, Florida, I, it, it, it's one of these things where I, I would certainly commission a lot of research and I would find out what, why it is that we consistently underperform. It may be that you just can't win it, at which point I would say we have to walk away from it. But I'm not there yet because I keep coming back to the ballot initiatives that get two-thirds. And it, it, before I walked away, and I, I would be willing to walk away, I, I would want to do some exhaustive research. I, I think that where we need to look you know, we, we have got to get black turnout better. And, and, and you know, I'm looking, and I just saw a very good poll in Mississippi. I keep coming back. There's not a lot of electoral votes. I don't want to go over, over the board. Uh, where Trump's favorability is 5147. That's Mississippi. And that state usually votes 31, maybe 32 black share. It could be 38, 38 and a half. If, well, if you get it to there, you're going to win a lot of elections. And you can look and see where the states are, where, you know, North Carolina being another one. They think the yep. black shift in November was 17, where it should be 21. But that's a lot. And I, I, I go back to a conversation we had about uh, Vice President Harris. I, I think that us advocating the public safety issue shows that we're not talking about things that matter to to them. We're getting caught up in something that's damaging to the party brand here. So it's a good question. If I were the grand decision maker, I would be willing to walk away from Florida, but not until 
I, I was convinced that there's nothing we can do to, it's, it's just an irredeemable state. And I don't know. That that's well, I agree with you, James, but, but the problem is unless you can prove that it's not irredeemable, it's expensive to do things in Florida. So, uh, you know, yeah, when, when ask, you know what? But it's a big, it's got well, you're right, but you're losing by the margins you're losing by, you know, in the consecutive elections. And state legislative seats and, yeah. I, you know, I, I, in, in, I wasn't about it. She wouldn't have won, but I was, you know, Charlie Crist, we, 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 I'm sure he's a fine guy. Man, if, if you want to nominate somebody that's not going to excite people, you try that. Right. No, but I agree. And I, you know, obviously you have to, I feel the same way about Ohio. I hate to say it, but I think it's, I just worry whether it's winnable. You couldn't have had a much better candidate than, uh, than Tim. Yeah, Ryan. But That'll be tested in 24 by Sherrod Brown. Uh, right. it, I mean, Sherrod Brown is the one person who can still carry Ohio, I think. Right. And, and we didn't, you know, we did horrible. We lost the governor's race by like 20. Mm-hmm. And what Tim lost by seven, something like that. I, this, it was too much to overcome, but I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm too much of a, maybe I'm just guided by history, but I'm too much of a fighter to, to give up. Well, you kind of obviously invest to go to your question, uh, Jeff, you got to obviously invest in Georgia and Arizona, Wisconsin, Nevada, those, those that were won by razor thin marches. I also believe, and I've got a little bit of a bias here, North Carolina. I think North Carolina is the one state that Trump carried, the Democrats should not throw in the towel and should come back, invest more money, as James said, try to get a more energized black vote down there. Uh, you know, you can. They've been they've won the governorship for, I think, 24 of the last 28 years. Been harder uh, on the federal level, but not impossible. Uh, they, they've had a couple senators the last 20 years, John Edwards, Kay Hagan. So I think North Carolina, to me uh, right now, is a better investment than Florida. But the one that I'm really down on is Iowa. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's a 90-year-old guy, and we had a, you know, decorated admiral or whatever, and couldn't, probably couldn't have much better candidate, and we didn't scratch. Yeah. Next, Kyle in Portland, Oregon, says, I'm tired of people saying Joe Biden is too old to run for a second term. He's got more done than Trump, Obama, and Bush combined. How do we change the conversation about Biden running in 2024? Kyle, by the way, points out he's 36. Kyle? I so much want to agree with you, and I can't, because presidents can adjust. Uh, Clinton adjusted after a difficult midterm. Obama adjusted after a difficult midterm. You can change your emphasis. You can change your priorities. You can move more to the middle if you want to. The one thing you can't do is get younger. And I, you, you're right. Biden had an extraordinary first two years, but he still has got very negative numbers. People say they don't want him to run again. They don't hate Joe Biden. They're not against him because he's too liberal, because he's, you know, any bad things. They just think that he's too old. And I don't, I think that's going to be very difficult to change. And I think the case they made internally was he's the one that can beat Donald Trump. Donald Trump ain't going to be the nominee in 2024. So I just think you have to rethink that. And I hope that the president might rethink it, James. You know, yeah, it's a we're, we're sports fans and do these sport, a lot of sports analogies, but let's, let's go ahead and use one. You, you know, one thing that uh, you, it was kind of great to watch Tom Brady and Joe Burrow play because one is the, the, the greatest of all time and one might, you know, might one day be somewhere near that class. 
but but what they never do is throw the ball where the receiver is. They throw the ball where the receiver is going to be. Right. All right. And, and you can say you look at Biden now; he's eighty, and you say, you know, he he, he still can be an effective leader. That's true. He's been a very effective leader. You got to say, what about twenty twenty seven and twenty twenty eight? Because you're not voting on where he is. You're voting on where he's going to be. And I think that's a question people have to ask themselves. And I think the president and his family, does he deserve to be nominated as a Democrat? Of course he does. Does does his record uh, illustrative of somebody who should be reelected, not by a little bit, by a lot? Of course it is. But, you know, where are you going to be six years from now? Yeah, that's one mental question that you got to ask. Sure is. Um, James, our next question comes from Brady and Easel, Kentucky, E-Z-E-L. You know Kentucky well. Do you know Easel? I don't. It sounds like it's Eastern Kentucky, but I yeah. I, I, I can't swear it's up. But I know most places in Kentucky. I'll tell you the first thing I'm going to do when this show is over is I'm going to Google it. Well, Easel. We'll, we'll we'll get we'll answer you that Brady where you're from because you asked a real good question. He wants to work in the state legislature or Congress someday. I think Brady's a young person, but he faces a lot of discouragement from people who say there's little to gain from a career in such a hostile environment. Do you have advice for younger people wanting to spend their lives in politics or public service or perhaps even run for office themselves one day? Well, my advice has changed in a week. And so what I'd do is I would listen to last week's show with Quentin Folks. Okay. Now, there's not many Quentin Folks out there, 33 years old, who ran a $181 million Senate campaign that the whole world was looking at. But my advice to anybody, any young person that goes in is simply this. Find a job that you really want. All right. That, that's within your skill set. So let's say you want to work. I've, I've had, when I ran campaigns, I had a guy come in and be, and, and he said, look, I, 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 I really want to work in this campaign. It was a target campaign in 1984 ended up getting about, I don't know, 42%. And uh, uh, he said, I live in New York. I'll come to Austin. I, I will do anything you want me to do. I'll, I'll, I'll go get your laundry. I'll, I'll clean your house and uh, I'll run errands. I'll do whatever. And at the end of 60 days, you know, tell me there's no place for you here or hire me. And I said, okay. And after six days, I said, okay, you're on the payroll. There's not, you, you got to do something because you, you, you love politics and you went to a good school, you educated, you know it, you know, you know, all 120 counties in Kentucky, you know, et cetera, et cetera. That's not going to distinguish you. And, you know, and there are other people who, who's, Uncle gives a lot of money to the campaign. Do something to make yourself stand out and get involved in a good campaign with a good candidate, you know, good campaign manager, and just sit there and be a sponge and absorb everything. And that's what Clinton, what Clinton did. His, his aunt knew somebody knew, but Stanley Hall right. had an internship. Right. All right. You, you get, be willing to get your hands dirty. Because, you know, and every, you know, now everybody wants to come in at the, you know, executive level or something. And that's insane. It, it just, you know, put yourself in a place where you can observe everything. Be an advanced person. Brady, Be you have just gotten the best advice from the best. So 
follow it. Murphy in Knoxville, Tennessee. I'm going to quote Murphy's question, James. He said, uh, I am frankly scared shitless about this independent state legislature business. If the <laughs> five black robe lunatics on the Supreme Court affirm this theory, what does that mean for us in states with Republican super majorities? What kind of authoritarian mischief might the Tennessee legislature get up to? First of all, Murphy, you were right. You're, you are as scared as you should be. The independent state legislature theory was a loony theory for years and years that suddenly the right wing has embraced that says basically, you know what? State Supreme Courts, state courts have nothing to do with gerrymandering any election laws because it's in the Constitution that the state legislature does this. Who created the state legislature? The state constitution created it. And they created a Supreme Court that was supposed to have, it was supposed to be a balance of power, a division of power. This is a right-wing power grab. I'm talking to people much smarter than I am. I'm inclined to think this, this Supreme Court won't go quite that far. I worry that what they'll do is some kind of a compromise, not adopt quite the independent state legislature business, but still let North Carolina get away with this outrageous gerrymandering. Uh, and figure they can visit another day. And your larger point is right. This Republican Supreme Court, that's what it is. It's now a Republican Supreme Court because they are movement conservatives. They are movement Republicans. They are partisans. And uh, I think there there's an arrogance there that I think is just frightening. So if you think about traditionally, the, the when I was in law school, it, and it was a long time ago, but for me, it, it, as recent as, I don't know, 10 years ago, the, the, the thing that they, they said is, first of all, judicial restraint. Right. You should only decide the issue before you. We're not here to, to make a, a larger statement. And, you know, the, the liberals have, have done that, like expanded the map versus Ohio, you know, Escobedo or, or, or I don't know your name, I don't know, Baker versus Cars, all these old cases. And, and so in it, there was some kind of, Okay, that kind of makes sense. Is you you just you don't need to go any further. You need to go. Of course, that's completely accurate. The other one is the idea of federalism. That that really the states get together and they form the federal government. The federal government didn't form the states, which is a, it, it, okay. And so we, we should respect, give deference to the power of the states. Right. I I, I clearly disagree that the states Fourteenth Amendment applied to them because it'd be racial segregation, gender, whatever. That that made some some sense, if you will. And and also that there were three co-equal branches of government, and we should defer to each one. In each instance, they have abandoned with judicial modesty in a way that has never been happened before in the Supreme Court. They have completely abandoned any idea of, of states' rights of deference to, to, to the state constitution. A, and they have completely decided that the judiciary is the superior branch of government. And I, this is a earth, to, to a guy that's hardly a constitutional lawyer, to, you know, I hadn't had a law license since, I don't know, shit, 1979, maybe they don't even pass then. But you don't have to be a genius to see that that this court in it worth one point five billion dollars behind them is just all about its own power, and they don't give a shit. 
And it all started with Bush v. Gore. And they don't care. Alito, he doesn't get Gorsuch. They don't give a shit. You got to understand that. They're going to take every piece of power they can possibly get. You're so right. You should be scared shitty, not scared shitless. And and they ain't going to stop. <laughs> I promise you. But that's a very good question from my friend in Knox County, Tennessee. By the way, that, that's a beautiful place. And that University of Tennessee, where they have those games and the, the boats coming down the river, it, 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 that, 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 that's a great place. That's a uh, gorgeous part of the world. Knoxville is. Knoxville really is. All right. Thank you for those questions. They get Actually, they get better. And the biggest guilt trip I go on every week is the ones we can't get to, but we'll get to them next week. So keep them coming. Thanks for listening to Politics War Room with James Carville and I'm Al Hunt. Don't forget to send your questions for us by email to politicswarroom at gmail.com or tweet them for next week's show at Politicon. Following this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you check out the links to our sponsors, Real Paper, Miracle Brand, and Hold On Bags in the show notes. We deeply thank you for supporting them. And when you do, it makes this podcast happen. To keep up with us, subscribe to Politics War Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Please rate the show with a five-star review. We'll be back next week with another show as we continue our war room planning. And to all out there, a Merry Christmas, a Happy Hanukkah, a Happy anything else that you might celebrate. Uh, This is a wonderful season, and we appreciate you listening.